0: Listening to that Jesus podcast.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of that Jesus podcast. Today, I'm joined by Drew Latin. How's it going, Drew?
0: It's going really good. Glad to be with you.
1: So we connected a little bit over social media. You had listened to uh, my interview with Asher Whitmer on his podcast, and also. You reached out to me after listening to a few of the episodes on this podcast where we discussed some things that made me sound like a flaming charismatic, and <laughs> I, I guess that triggered you a little bit because <laughs> you reached out to me and actually wanted to do a, a debate, and uh, it far be it from me to turn down a challenge to a debate, but I, I thought, hey, why don't we just start this off with a conversation Rather than getting pulling each other's hair out and, in a hardcore debate and see how that goes, yep, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get going here?
0: Sure, so we live in northern Wisconsin and uh, moved here after about ten years in Thailand on the mission field. My wife is grew up here, and this is our home church. So now I pastor our home church here and teach uh, middle school English on the reservation.
1: Uh, Native American reservation?
0: Yes, excuse me. Yep, on the res. Um, Yep, the Anishinaabe uh, Ojibwe community here. So they let a a white guy come in and teach as long as I do my best.
1: Cool. So why did you come back to America? Was the the mission field just too much of a sacrifice for you and you wanted your (laughs) comforts? I'm assuming.
0: Uh, you didn't tell me you were going to ask me that question.
1: <laughs> um, you can you can say, I'm not going to tell you that's none of your business. I'll yeah, take that for the, an answer.
0: The easy answer would be to say it felt like it was the Lord's leading at the time to come back, regroup, reconnect with our church. And it just hasn't really felt like it was the right time to leave yet. They called me to leadership in the church just three or four months after we got back to the States. Hmm. And so that's kind of put a great big pause in our timeline to return. Okay. But so we hope to return someday.
1: Okay, that's great. Yeah. So I, I'd love to talk to you some more about your time in Thailand sometime. Um, but that's not why we're here. We're here to <laughs> argue about the charismatic gifts. I actually, <laughs> I actually think I met you because in Thailand, yep. um, my sister, my older sister and her husband were missionaries in a, a rural village in Thailand about, man, like 10 years ago. And you were in Chiang Mai, uh, which is mm-hmm. sort of the base for a lot of the Mennonite mission work that's done there. And I, I think I remember sitting in your house and you yep. and my dad were talking about divorce and remarriage.
0: Is that correct? That's exactly right. That's so cool cr- That was a subject. <laughs> that's a subject we were really wrestling with, with um, church planting and working with a Thai pastor at the time. And I really appreciated his his input and it actually gave a specific wisdom for what we were dealing with at the time. And yeah, I kind of remember you as the teen that came with this highly respected couple over to visit our friends, Craig and Rachel, but, um, (laughs) no, it's nice to reconnect.
1: For some reason, I, my impression of that conversation was you sounding a little bit unorthodox in your position about divorce and remarriage and my dad pushing back. Is that how that conversation went?
0: Well, it all depends on what you define as orthodox. Um, <laughs> no, we were working with a couple that was actually not married even at the time, at least not in the way we would view marriage. Okay. And uh, they were part of our small group in mm-hmm. church. <clears throat> and they hadn't ever been married, but they said, well, we've kind of said we're going to be committed to each other. And everybody knows that we're Sami and Palaya, our husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And this those two terms in Thai are mean different things than in english and so okay. talking with your dad mark yeah is that mm-hmm. yep um he talked about some of their experience in kenya working with um polygamous couples and such mm-hmm. so the way he dealt with that and giving kind of a hard line but also grace and time really gave me some insight for how he should deal with the, the couple
1: yeah And I'm assuming he pointed out all the verses in the scriptures that say you need a a ceremony and vows and witnesses for it to be a legitimate marriage, right? I
0: don't remember for sure, just to be honest. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic because his okay. verses do not exist. <laughs> Did well, you think I
1: was being serious with that question?
0: <laughs> I was not sure. The the truth is that um, I've heard arguments for that. Really? You know, God was the first officiant at the first marriage, and people will dive into the Jewish practices around marriage, but there's nothing spelled out in the, at least yeah. none in the 66 book canon that I know of. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, Matthew Milioni might take issue with you saying that the canon is sixty-six books, but we'll mm-hmm. leave that one right where it sits. I said
0: the sixty-six book canon, referring to the smaller canon as opposed to anything else. I but... see, got it. <laughs> All right, great. Well, uh, why don't we
1: launch into our topic here today? Uh, I-, I went over some of your notes uh, for your position, listened to some of the sermons that you've you've preached about the charismatic gifts. And I think you have a, a very good centrist, nuanced position on it where you're not a cessationist, but you're also not a flaming charismatic either. <laughs> and so I, I th- the sort of the way we set this discussion up was around the question of whether or not a church that is not experiencing the supernatural gifts of the Spirit Is missing something like if if you're part of a church that even though they might not be cessationist they're Mm -hmm. simply not experiencing tongues prophecy healings those things should you feel like something is wrong and should you actively pursue those spiritual gifts and i i i think i would give a soft yes to that question that yes Mm -hmm. there is something wrong in that case and i think you would give a fairly resounding no is is that representing your position accurately (laughs) At least a semi-soft
0: no, probably okay. a fairly firm.
1: So we're pretty no, it... soft. We're pretty soft on on both ends here. <laughs> Maybe we'll meet in the middle by the time this conversation is said and done. But I'm, I'll let you kind of take it away and um, give us your your experience with with these things.
0: Yeah, thanks. And a lot of it really does come down to experience and bringing our experience to bear on what we see in the Word of God and wrestling through that. Mm-hmm. Um I want to I want to admit or acknowledge that I'm coming from my experience that I'm coming from my hang-ups and my experience is limited so there could be things I don't know believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. And I also don't want to say by bringing out a position or whatever, I don't want to say that I'm indicting other Christians experiences and saying they're invalid. That's just not my place. I don't want to undermine someone's experience. Mm-hmm. I don't want to question it. I want to i want to let the Bible do that, which, yeah, that may sound a lot of people say that. But I, I guess I mean that. Um, but ultimately, I don't believe that our experiences should be our starting point. And I don't even think my experiences are ultimately reliable as far as deciding what the Bible means and what Christ wants for us.
1: So what do you do with the situation where Peter had a vision about food when he was hungry? So it's already Mm -hmm. a little bit suspect there. And based on that vision, went into a house of of Gentiles and um, assumed that that vision was... Should should significantly alter their understanding of of who the gospel was for, mm-hmm. and also as part of that story, the outpouring of the Spirit as evidenced by tongues yeah. convinced the apostles that the good news was for the Gentiles. So there we see a, a experience significantly changing their understanding of the Torah. Um, what what mm-hmm. would you do with that?
0: Yeah, well, I'll answer your question, but let me let me kind of back up a little bit, if you don't mind. And if Uh I, if I miss it, we can come back to your, to that question in particular. Sure. Um, I grew up with an aunt who, and I love you aunt Kim, um, who was like wildly, weirdly, almost cultically charismatic. And so she would try to teach me how to speak in tongues, (laughs) but she has her own journey and I don't think she'll mind me sharing that part of her story. (laughs) Um, uh, we went to an Assemblies of God church for a while, and then mm-hmm. the churches we were with in Thailand are almost all charismatic, either strongly or just kind of lean that way, the mm-hmm. churches we interacted with. So I've had a lot of exposure to speaking in tongues, and what I struggled with is feeling like I was somehow less Somehow missing out on what God had for me because I didn't speak in tongues or I wasn't slain in the spirit or I wasn't being given divine revelation from God. Real practically, uh, when I felt a call to missions when I was 16 years old, um, that came through a, an old missionary giving a series of missions talks. All my peers that were interested in missions, they knew that God was calling them to, you know, you know Lesotho, Africa or, you know, nairobi or something like that and they knew that god had told them and they had this special burden i was like i don't have that burden i just feel like i'm supposed to fulfill the great commission and i felt like a second-class citizen in a certain sense Mm -hmm. um and then i realized that there are a lot of young people that are struggling to hear god's voice um and then in thailand there are a lot of people that struggle to feel mature struggle to feel like they have all god has for them because everybody else is experiencing tongues and being slain in the spirit and miraculous healings and they're left out. Mm -hmm. And and so I wanted more than just, it it didn't, there was something missing. And of course you and I both know that a lot of people that claim to speak in tongues, that claim supernatural gifts lack some of the basic baseline evidence of the spirit, which is the fruits of the spirit. Mm -hmm. So, I was really attracted to the cessationist perspective. Like if I can find in the Bible that we don't have to worry about this and I can just put it on a shelf and be done, then, then awesome. Yeah. But (laughs) I couldn't go there. The cessationists that I interacted with and I listened to hours and hours and hours of messages. I listened to basically the whole John MacArthur conference against charismatic gifts and bottom line, the, and and again, I love the cessationists. I, I actually have a lot of respect for John MacArthur um, hope that doesn't get me booted that, off that right makes, now. That but. makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so the cessationists tended to be nasty. Um, they tended to sit and judge others' experiences and tell people what to think about their experiences. And most of all, I just didn't see the cessationist perspective in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I can't be a cessationist, but I'm worried about this sort of, saying, well, you can have the regular Christianity or the supersized Christianity. And if you really love Jesus, if you really have the Holy Spirit, then you need to be speaking in tongues. So that's where I came in and started really wrestling through this, preaching through 1 Corinthians with our church. And I had a lot of this worked out, what I was thinking, but also recognized that I need to be able to have it grounded in Scripture to lay out to my home church. hmm so that brings me, I know I'm really um, monologuing here. That brings me to tongues in the book of Acts. Yeah. And I totally 100% see that there are speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. And I think that's fantastic. And I think they were given for a specific reason. And that reason has blessed the church for 2,000 years. <laughs> I I can I can lay that out a bit more. Um,
1: yeah. Well, first of all, back to the idea that experience should not be our starting point. I agree with you, but I think that our our position on that should be informed by the fact that the apostles placed a lot of value on experience. So I do think it does mm-hmm. have value.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm still struggling to know how to articulate that clearly, because I have a lot of people, even after I preach messages at our home church about speaking in tongues and hearing God's voice, somebody would come up to me after the fact and say, I didn't like your sermon. I don't feel like your sermon is biblical because I experienced it. Mm-hmm. And so this one brother wasn't judging me based on the word of God. He was judging me based on his experience, What you're saying can't be true because of my experience. And and so I walked back through with him and I'm like actually I don't think your experience is necessarily invalidated by what I said and number 2 I'm not judging your experience one or the other you need to work through that yourself. Yeah. So experiences are really valuable, really important, but instead of saying well it's either experience or the Bible, we have to find some way where they meet.
1: Yeah, I agree and I would I would wholeheartedly say that if your experience contradicts the scripture, go with scripture. I do want to talk a little bit I wouldn't though. say that actually. You wouldn't? Okay, what would you say? <laughs> okay, I'm being a little bit You're of a... You're more charismatic newspaper. than me What's going on here?
0: In the sense that if I have this experience and I have scripture, then therefore I just throw away the experience and go with scripture. That's not what we should do We need to wrestle with why we experienced this, what was happening yeah, and process it
1: Yeah that's a better way of, of saying what I was trying to say. I know, uh, I was being but, ill. <laughs> but, but this example of, of Peter and Cornelius, mm-hmm. do you think that that's a bit of an anomaly in that the church was just being established and that therefore they had the right to rely more on experience then than we do now?
0: So I would go back to see speaking in tongues, of course, in Acts 2, yeah. and then... And then in the other experiences, um, so speaking in tongues was an experience that God specifically gave to send a message. Mm-hmm. Um, tongues made it so the gospel is understandable in people's heart language. And I think that's the first big message we get from tongues in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And then as we see the gospel spread to new groups throughout the story of Acts, that's A sign of the spread of the gospel, and everybody's watching. The apostles are seeing it happen. Those hearing, um, speaking in tongues, they're like, "Oh, this special symbol of the gospel of God's good news for us is coming to the Gentiles in Cornelius's house too. It's for Gentiles too." And then ultimately, they think the last time tongues is recorded in the Book of Acts, it's like when the gospel has spread to the outer reaches of the. "Quote unquote known world" or the established Roman world, mm-hmm. and we can look at that and say the gospel is for everyone. Mm-hmm. So that's what I see as the message of tongues. It's a symbol of the gospel, God's message, being understandable for everyone: Jews, Gentiles, and the uttermost parts of the earth.
1: Okay, so that's tongues, but I think you kind of missed my question. Do you think that they should they they had the right to exp, to rely more on on experience back then or do you think they weren't necessarily relying more on experience in the situation of peter and cornelius Mm. then then we would have the right to know
0: yeah i see what you're saying um see this is one of your little questions that makes me stop and and rethink my paradigm here (laughs) yeah
1: um I'm trying because to put you on the spot. That's my goal yeah. right now. Yeah, what you're you, saying you wanted, is- you you were asking me <laughs> to give you some of my points beforehand, and I said no. I want to I want to be able to stump you. I want to be able to make you look dumb. Yep. So it, it's 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 working out. Um, mm-hmm. I'm feeling good about this so far, and
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so first of all, I would acknowledge Titus that yes, there is a difference between the establishment of the New Testament church laying down that foundation of the apostles and prophets yeah, and where we are now. The foundation, uh, Paul himself said, the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. So once we have that foundation laid, we don't need to keep piling on new apostolic teaching. We have the apostolic teaching that has been handed down to us. Mm-hmm. And so I would say yes, in a certain sense, and I'm a little bit leery of just, putting it out there. But in a certain sense, our experiences as Christians in 2020 is not as, uh, make sure I'm nuanced here, right, Titus? Authoritative. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. I, I want to say it has the same weight as what was happening. Now, if everybody in a community, say you guys in Virginia We're having clear, documentable experiences of speaking in tongues. And somebody could come in and say, wow, you guys are speaking a foreign language. This is amazing. And it was, like, spreading. And this experience was replicated and attested to over and over again. Then I would be like, okay, something is happening there. You see that? Yeah. There's a big difference between what Cornelius and his household experienced. And... Like what I saw at the Assemblies of God Church up in northern Minnesota, where we had one sister stand up every Sunday and she would prophesy with the same blah, 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 blah type repetitive syllables and then give her interpretation of it, which was very vague Christianese encouragement stuff. Did it have
1: anything to do with waterfalls? Waterfalls. (laughs) waterfalls <laughs> most most of those have something to do with water at some point but <laughs> um, um
0: do, you, do you hear what i'm saying though yeah, like, yeah yeah i really do think there's a difference but but beyond that um actually i think that's good i think i said what i was going to say
1: yeah yeah so with, <laughs> I with think peter, i
0: refuted you titus <laughs> and and with <laughs>
1: with peter there I, i've been thinking about that example a lot i'm not sure that their experienced contradicted Prior revelation, because Jesus said things that at least the gospel writers interpreted as overturning food laws, and so that that's what that vision was mostly about. Now Peter interpreted the vision as saying that uh, it also applies to Gentiles being able to hear and understand the gospel, and and later the apostles. We're criticizing him for going in and eating with uncircumcised Gentiles. But was that even, I don't even know, I should have researched this before this podcast, but was that even against the Torah for Peter to go in and, and hang out with Gentiles in that way?
0: Yeah, there are, um, when, when I read the, the Torah myself, sometimes it seems like, God is telling His people, like, stay away from those Gentiles. And then sometimes there's a process for welcoming them into the community. Uh-huh. And I, I get—I don't think those are incompatible. But regardless of the Torah, Peter and the the apostles and the disciples of the time were living under much more than the Torah. Mm-hmm. They were living under all the rules and regulations that had been set up. Sure. So.
1: And those those aren't. It, it's not necessarily terrible for them to disobey a lot of those rabbinic traditions, I guess. So, I think that that fact weakens the point I was trying to make a little bit. But let's move on from that. Mm-hmm. You, you're already getting into tongues. So, when I was at Sharon Mennonite Bible Institute about uh, six or seven years ago, I was in a class by Benjamin Good on the book of Acts. And as my term paper... I decided to tackle speaking in tongues. And Mm -hmm. I I really did my best to just go to Scripture and say, what does Scripture say about tongues every place in the New Testament, even in the Old, that mentions it. And I didn't really have a lot of other sources besides the Scripture. And so what I I came to in my, uh, I'm certain, purely unbiased starting (laughs) point, was that there's three categories of tongues. And so... In my mind, the, the one category would be, like you said earlier, where it is another language and the purpose of that other language is, it, like in, in Acts 2, it, it specifically states is to declare the wonderful works of God or to mm-hmm. proclaim the gospel. So you're given the supernatural ability to speak in a language that up to that point is a foreign language to you in order to preach the gospel to people who otherwise would not have been able to understand you. I think that's mm-hmm. that's the category that was demonstrated in Acts. Now, second category is in 1 Corinthians where it talks about someone interpreting. And I would put that category sort of in a prophetic category where if someone's interpreting... Something that was spoken in tongues, I would say that that's they're interpreting something that is sort of a message from God for the church. The reason why I don't think that that is the same as the first category is why would anyone need to interpret it if it was a language specifically given in order to to you know access the hearer more easily? Right? It seems mm-hmm. counterintuitive. Then my yep. third category is is prayer so a, a a prayer language or an angelic language mm-hmm. and um that's the the category that Paul instructed people simply to do at home if there's no interpreter so what what do you think about
0: those three categories mm-hmm. so, so one of the things that I when I approach something like this, I'm really trying to go for the like the bare minimum of what I know scripture says, and then to scaffold out from their implications and applications and such. Yeah. Bottom line, I don't think scripture spells out in any way, shape, or form if there were three different categories. I understand why someone might think that. I'm being a but good I don't reformed think... systematic theologian. <laughs> yeah. The tripartite <laughs> yes. division of speaking in <laughs> tongues. That is so good. I'm going to write That's that down. That's gig humor. <laughs> um, so I, I can't say you're wrong, uh-huh. but I don't see it there either, and I don't think... I, I just don't see that it's necessary to divide it that way. Why would you? What I would see bear with me for just one second because I know what you're about to (laughs) say (laughs) what I would say is that there are different uses of the gift of tongues and we see in the book of Acts it was primarily about um, show again in Acts they were all talking together this was dialects that they could speak the gospel or hear hear the gift of tongues in or the gospel in anyhow So in that case, it was more of a gift to the Gentiles. But as it was a gift to the Gentiles, it was also condemnation to the Jews. Because the good news of Jesus, God's good news for us, was being spoken in other languages. Mm -hmm. And so I would see in Acts, it was primarily a blessing of God's spreading of the word. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it was primarily a judgment against people. And... In First Corinthians fourteen, there the result was also feeling people feeling puffed up like they had something special. I don't see First Corinthians thirteen as speaking of speaking in tongues at all.
1: Interesting. <laughs> oh, you're talking um, about, again. First, I can't. First Corinthians thirteen, the love chapter, isn't talking yeah, first about. First
0: Corinthians thirteen. If I speak in in human or angelic tongues, there's another yeah, passage yeah, yeah. that people go to in Romans eight. Um, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered and i just don't see that as talking about what paul was talking about in romans or 1 corinthians 14 so. okay so you said that
1: it's about judgment how is that mm-hmm. about judgment to
0: the jews like how... <clears throat> mm-hmm. because the jews were all about having god's words to them in hebrew for their people mm-hmm. and the gentiles couldn't hear and the old testament prophetic judgment was that the Gentiles or the Jews would no longer be able to hear in Hebrew and God would bring people from the outside, crushing them, sending God's message to them through judgment. And I mean, I'm taking this right from what Paul says, Paul's exegesis of Isaiah in chapter 14, verses 20 or so 20, 21, 22. Mm-hmm. I never um, understood that exegesis, so maybe you should exegete it for, me. <laughs> oh boy <laughs> when I so in my speaking, term
1: paper, I said, in the context of tongues, Paul quotes this fascinating <laughs>
0: verse, and that's where I left it at because it was so weird to me no for for me, I think that's a a key for understanding it um, okay. i don't I'm not saying I understand everything, but this idea of tongues being established to say the gospel is now for everybody mm-hmm condemns the jews kind of the romans nine thing going on here Mm -hmm. um it condemns the jews because the jews have rejected god's word and so now it has to be spread to the gentiles Mm -hmm. and so when paul says quotes isaiah quotes the prophet saying i will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners and even then they will not listen to me Mm -hmm. speaking in tongues so this is paul's exegesis or application speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Mm -hmm. And so everything I can piece together from tongues indicates that the foundational issue here is the gospel spread to Gentiles.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think, I think I can agree with that. Um, but i'm not sure that that would negate it wouldn't i don't i don't think it would negate paul talking about the gift of tongues in romans 13 but i'm, I'm willing to leave that where it's at romans 13 uh 1st corinthians 13 i'm willing to leave that where it's at and we can agree to disagree there i would have more questions about 1st corinthians 12 and 14 though mm-hmm. even even if it is primarily a, a judgment and i think i would agree with you that the The first category, perhaps that's an element of it, yes, but why would, even if it was a judgment against the Jews and primarily for Gentiles and for non-believers, why would that negate the way that I categorized it? Or do you just simply reject that because it's not systematically laid out like that?
0: processing please hold (laughs) yeah that question was very confusing (laughs) yeah i'm not even sure what i just asked. (laughs) so if i follow you you're saying yes it's primarily about judgment for the jews and hope for the gentiles yes but what does that have to do with your tripartite division what does that have to do with the
1: tripartite division or what does that have to do with
0: it Mm-hmm. being something that we should still experience today mm-hmm. what it has to do with whether or not we should experience it is one if we're in a situation where that message has to be sent again that the gospel is for everyone uh, regardless of their, rel- their linguistic groups mm-hmm. then maybe we'd see the gift of tongues coming again if that was a need mm-hmm. I see. secondly um it feels, in particular, where where Paul emphasizes the connection between Old Covenant prophecies of judgment and New Covenant hope of understanding of the gospel for everyone, he connects that it really does seem like it was tied to the Jewish-Gentile division. Sure. I'm going to um, speculate a little bit here, and so you could poke as many holes as you want in this, but that's great because... This is just speculation on my part. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like to me, the way Paul talks about speaking in tongues, he's kind of shrugging his shoulders and saying, sure, why not? Go ahead and speak in tongues. No biggie. He's not condemning them for doing it, but he's not commending it to them either. Even when he says, you know, that I speak in tongues more than all of you, there's a sort of sarcastic edge about what he's saying. And so when I see Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 14 about this and how dismissive he is of speaking in tongues, it just seems to me the sort of thing that Paul is suggesting, this is ultimately a distraction. Let's focus on speaking intelligibly. Let's focus on speaking in a way that builds up our minds and not just our spirits. Let's focus on a way that encourages people.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to assume that when I bring up my third category, which is a prayer tongue, that you're mm-hmm. going to respond by saying that Paul was not encouraging that.
0: Is that correct? Uh, not only do I not see Paul not encouraging it, I don't see it prescribed anywhere in Scripture. If it was happening, in other words, if it was happening in Corinth, that doesn't mean it should happen. Um, and furthermore, I could see somebody, it feels like it's stretching just a little bit, but I could see somebody making the argument that Paul's not even talking about a personal private prayer tongue.
1: Okay. I'm going to interrupt interrupt you right here and you can make that argument in a bit, but your first point that you, you're saying it's not prescribed. What about first Corinthians 14 verse four? It says one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And Mm -hmm. I would see that as describing the the third category there. So what
0: is wrong with edifying yourself? Okay, I'll answer that in a second. But can you tell me where you see the third category in this? The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up. I don't don't get that.
1: So 1 Corinthians 14, let's start in verse 2. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God so that would negate the first two categories that sentence because it's not proclaiming the gospel and no one's interpreting so there's no men here Uh, so men here in both of those other two categories this is saying no you're you're speaking to god no continuing for no one understands Mm -hmm. once again negating the first two categories but in his spirit he speaks mysteries Verse four and verse four, like I said earlier, says he's edifying himself through that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, verse seventeen mm-hmm. talks about uh, sort of this prayer prayer tongue again. He says, "For you are giving thanks well enough, right?" So you're, it, it's it, he is speaking positively about this, even if mm-hmm. there's no
0: interpreter. Okay, I I'm still. Like, a person can build themselves up. A person could be speaking to God without edifying the church and still doing it in a public way. That's that's actually the problem here. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And he should do that at home in
1: his prayer closet. What I'm saying is it's— Ah, uh, he doesn't say that,
0: though. <laughs> yes, he does. He
1: says he says he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. Well, he doesn't say do it in your prayer closet, but that's implied. If you're speaking to yourself and to God, I would assume you're alone.
0: Yeah. Okay, I'll concede that point without saying that it's being prescribed. <laughs> okay, I, I, I think I
1: agree it's not necessarily being prescribed, but I would say it's encouraged. Because if you're speaking positively about something, I would say that's an encouragement. And why in the 21st century would we not want something and pursue
0: something positive? Such a good question. Mostly because I have a really good answer for it. (laughs) Um, We don't need to worry about that because we have something so much better. The Bible? Because we have have a way of communicating intelligibly to each other. We have a way of building each other up when we speak. And so why would I want this gift that is... um, that's inferior to prophecy that's a sign for gentiles that builds up yourself um, that has no command to speak in tongues when i can have prophecy which is intelligible which is for the church of god rather than judgment on the outsiders and builds everyone up okay
1: you have a good point and you had a list of things that tongues is to negate me wanting them and I don't concede <laughs> all of that list because in the list you said it's a sign of judgment. I, I wouldn't see how the prayer tongue would be that. I can see how the first category would be that of we're mm-hmm. proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles and I think that's where your exegesis or your interpretation of Paul's exegesis of that Old Testament passages <laughs> come, comes in but I, I wouldn't concede that for the prayer tongue um, I forget what the other reasons were why I shouldn't want it. Um, mm-hmm. I would say my my point remains that if it's encouraged, I should want it. That doesn't mean I shouldn't want prophecy more. I mm-hmm. agree. We should we should pursue prophecy more. Oh, another thing you mentioned was we have ways of encouraging and building each other up in in clear language, which they had back then too. You know they. Yep. And Paul specifically points that out he says i will pray with my mind and i'll pray with my understanding he's i will sing in the spirit and i'll sing with my understanding so he's saying you know we it's good we should do both of those
0: yes he's not saying we should do one and then the other he's not making a grocery list pray in spirit pray in mind sing in spirit sing in mind he's saying we should be praying with our spirit and our minds we should be singing with our spirit and our minds together.
1: Wait, so you don't see him describing two different things? Four here.
0: separate actions.
1: But in, in the context of this chapter, it certainly seems like that's what he's doing, right? Because he's contrasting things in this chapter, and he's it's specifically talking about tongues as a category a lot in this chapter so why would he suddenly be blending those two things
0: yeah I again I've mostly looked at this text in relation to the church gatherings because that's what 1 Corinthians 14 is that's the context of 1 Corinthians 14 church gatherings Yeah. So, so I'm probably stretching myself just a little bit to say what it should look like when you're on your own Mm-hmm. And that's why I shrug my shoulders and I'm like, well, if repeating nonsense syllables feels biblical and builds your spirit, I can't knock it other than subversively calling it nonsense syllables. But we can talk about that too. Mm-hmm. I'm coming off nastier than I intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm attacking you too. So we're all good. <laughs> the only thing I've really heard, Titus, that would support your your third category is that Paul says, uh, what verse is it? Um, let them, if there's no interpreter, let them speak between them and God. Yes. Um, are there, is is there other support for, for this being a private prayer language? So
1: I had listed chapter 13, verse one as a Mm -hmm. tongue of hyperbole. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and it's just, I think I read verses two through four already. Um, Mm -hmm. verse 14, I think I mentioned my mind being unfruitful, uh, verse 17, you're giving thanks well enough, 28, um, is the one you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the verses that I read and I say this cannot describe either someone interpreting or the supernatural ability to speak in another language for the purpose of the gospel. And that's why I'm like, it has to be something else. Well, maybe there's an angelic prayer language mm-hmm. that is also something good.
0: Yeah. And I would reject first Corinthians 13 one as being anything more than a really profound hyperbole. That's fine. I don't um, think I need
1: that for my case. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, um, I'm surprised you didn't go to Romans
1: eight, um, but the spirit interceding. Yeah. Well, that's not explicit. I mean, I, yeah. I think the spirit hopefully does that, even when I'm not praying
0: in tongues. But I do know that's a real Amen. go-to
1: for charismatics.
0: Yeah. So, my question back to you, and this would get personal. I don't know if you've personally speak in tongues, um, um, and maybe you don't want to. No. So come out of the closet here.
1: Yeah. Sure. No, I've had quite an interesting ride in the charismatic world, and I, I think I described it a little bit on Asher's podcast, if anyone wants to mm-hmm. go look at my interview on Unfeigned Christianity, but I, I interacted a lot with the House of Prayer movement, connected mm-hmm. with International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Mike Bickle, and those folks out there. There's yep. a, a local iteration of that, Charlottesville House of Prayer, and I've got to know the, the director for that really well. Shout out, John, if you're listening. Um, and There was a a time in those prayer meetings when I was really struggling with a lot of things. So I would say I was more vulnerable, probably, to this than I would have otherwise been. But uh, I remember asking them if they would pray for me so I could speak in tongues. And I think I'd been prayed for before then to receive the gift. Sure. But I was waiting on my lips to begin forming syllables in those situations, Uh and it did not happen. Yes. In this case, I, I think I sort of laid aside the idea that I need to passively sit here until my lips start moving on their own. And I, I accepted the fact that I might have to also participate. Mm-hmm. And so I did the, the um, I'm sure it was not a physical like earthly language that I spoke. And I'm not claiming it was a heavenly language either. <laughs> but I, I spoke in tongues, okay? <laughs> there, I, I spit yep. it out. And since then, I, I have continued to do it occasionally um, as a prayer language to God. I haven't done it as much recently. And I think it's because in the back of my mind, there's always a little skepticism about whether or not this is real or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a way to prove it's real I it's not something that I feel like has really blessed me that much <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I've kind of come to a point where I'm sort of comfortable not worrying too much about it and if I feel led to do it I'll do it and if not I won't and it's not a very big issue in my Christian life
0: yeah and that's I, I think we're 90% of the way in agreement on on kind of the experience side yeah for me so much of my experience of speaking in tongues and receiving a prophetic word from God and laying hands on people to heal them like and have them healed right there uh, slaying in this spirit all these things oh yeah you
1: told me you it was been slaying in the spirit
0: before. <laughs> It was very much of a performance-based spirituality. He
1: just keeps moving on. He doesn't want to talk about being slain in the spirit. No, I can talk about it. I please, don't mind at let's, all. Please, please, let's go there before you continue, because yeah. this is this is one of the funkier things that happens in charismatic circles. And I've also been. Slain I don't know the about spirit. that. I've also been slain in the spirit once, and as yeah. I look back, I I was very worked up in that yeah. in that moment. I'm not sure if the dude pushed me or not. Mm-hmm. It was super weird. And <laughs> I, for the most part, I think that was probably fake. Now, my yeah. wife has been in India praying for a Hindu girl, and mm-hmm. the Hindu girl was slain in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that I think was real because this Hindu has not been taught to fall backwards when she's okay, being that prayed that was my forward. question. Yeah, as far as I know, unless she was... Happened to actually be a Christian in a Pentecostal church, but if I should ask my wife yeah. this for sure, but I'm pretty certain it was a Hindu girl. So I, I think that it's it's real and it can happen. I don't think it was real when it happened to me, although it might have been. I don't know. Anyways, what was yeah. your experience?
0: Uh, um. Well, so let me let me f- finish my thought there and then tie <laughs> okay. back into to the specific thing. Sure. I'm not ignoring you. <laughs> okay, okay. I won't let you so much of my experience with charismatics and and frankly with a lot of the revivalistic type movements that i really appreciate there's very much of a performance aspect yeah so let's stay up till two o'clock in the morning praying because then god will have to hear us mm-hmm. let's get super emotional because if we're feeling something then it feels real mm-hmm. um and over and over again i saw like revival well i was part of some of the revival teams that would go through these tribal villages in northern thailand and people would come totally expecting transparently expecting to have an experience one of the experiences would be um being slain in the spirit Mm -hmm. now i have fallen on my knees it feels like almost um you know without meaning to i have fallen flat on my face before in a in a fit of spiritual emotion crying out to god um see even when i even when i'm talking about something sincerely i still use kind of negative terms but i i I mean in a positive sense i i've done that and that's not what i'm talking about in a sense you could say that's kind of being slain in the spirit but what i'm talking about is when you have the white fat white guys from georgia coming to teach us all of the thai people and the missionary long-term missionaries there to teach us how to get the apostles and prophets and fivefold spiritual gifts and lay hands on everybody and get the Holy Spirit in Thailand for once Um, and so coming through I'm thinking about a conference in particular and this is probably the last time I there have been several times whether it's with the Charismatics or the Holiness Wesleyan people looking for that second work of grace Mm -hmm. or even like in the Charity Christian Fellowship circles where I've let my guard down I said let's do this I'm open for whatever, even if it's outside my comfort zone. I think this is probably the last time I did it. <laughs> and so what, what happened this last time, and it's happened a couple of other times similarly, but it was so explicit, so transparent. The guy, after they do their seminar on fivefold spiritual gifts, he's like, we're going to pray for people, lay hands on them, ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then they just walk back through the crowd and like lay hands on people, like on their shoulders and everybody's totally prepped like they have people coming around to catch them and stuff and it's everybody's totally prepped for it and they just like kind of push on people mm-hmm. and if you're a small Thai person and that you're a big Georgian you know you could like physically push him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so then he comes to me and I was like, Hey, if this guy's praying, I appreciate some of what we had to share. And he's praying for people to receive the Holy spirit. I want more of the spirit in my life and whatever he has, I'm happy. Like whatever he has, that's legitimate. I'm happy to receive it. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and he pushes on me. And I'm like, okay, now I really know what's happening. He's physically trying to push me a little bit. yeah. And he kind of looks at me and it kind of pushes again. And I don't fall to my <laughs> knees. I don't collapse like everybody else around me. And then it kind of like, looks at me sadly, God bless you and moves on. (laughs) Yeah. And that was kind of, for me personally, a little bit of a turning point to say, I don't have to, along with a bunch of other stuff these guys were teaching. I was like, I don't have to spend my time here just Mm -hmm. thinking that maybe there'll be something worthwhile. These guys are trying to sell a bill of goods and I'm not going to stand in line for it anymore. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I've specifically heard, at least the charismatic Christians, I've associated with condemning pushing and saying, we don't push.
0: So I think there is a
1: push to not push as much recently. Yeah, but there's
0: also a fine line between pushing and the spirit guiding your hands in central (laughs) gravity. Um, (laughs) Or an emotional push if everyone else is being pushed. You feel pushed to push. Yeah, absolutely. The, the thing we need to come back to in my mind, if for whatever reason, a, a personal prayer language, like you talked about at IHOP and and then personally, if that means something to you, I can't tell you in scripture that's wrong. We've got to stop like saying, having a list of acceptable experiences with God and a list of unacceptable experiences with God. Mm-hmm. But instead, what, what I'm pushing back against is, is this idea that we can have a list of things that people should be doing that that we're missing out on if we don't have them sure and, yeah I have one more like question that I wanted to circle back to I don't know if it really fits anymore but kind of a debate question like talking about your personal prayer language prayer life he says I will pray with my understanding I will pray with the spirit. That's not the verse I wanted. Ah, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul seems to grant. Okay, praying in another tongue, it's your spirit. Some of the some of the cessationists would deny that, right? I don't. know. But Paul, know. yeah, Paul, Paul says it. He's like, mm-hmm. you're praying in the spirit. Okay, whatever. You're praying in your spirit. My translation would say my spirit. So it's a it's an emotional spiritual thing, but he says. Um, my understanding is unfruitful. And so my question for you, Titus, and for anybody isn't stop speaking in tongues, stop prophesying in the charismatic sense, but it's if you're speaking in tongues and your understanding is unfruitful, wouldn't you rather pray in a way where your spirit is engaged and your mind, your understanding is engaged? Why would you want to pursue tongues if it's just your spirit?
1: Um, I don't know, except that I think it's biblical. So I believe we should spend a lot of time, probably more time, I could say fairly affirmatively, praying with your mind and praying with understanding, interceding, talking to God. And I believe we should, yes, like you said, pray in the spirit even when we're using the English language to do so. But if there is a category that's encouraged where your mind is not involved, Mm -hmm. I, I, once again, if he spoke positively about it, I assume there's something positive about it. And I'm not even saying that I've experienced (laughs) that much positive about it. I don't get a lot out of doing that. And um, Mm -hmm. it's not something I would have come up with. It's really weird, you know, Mm -hmm. but it is in scripture. And I'm, I'm sort of a prescriptivist when it comes to anything that's spoken about in Scripture. Not that I yep. say that everything that happens in Acts is a command. I think there's a mm-hmm. difference between something that's recorded in a command. Yep. But I look at the, ch- the church in Acts, and I say this to me at least looks better, at the least looks better than what the modern American church is experiencing right now. So whatever they were doing, I'm gonna try mm-hmm. my best to copy that in hopes of achieving achieving some of the same results.
0: Yeah, yeah. and tongues
1: and, is a very small part of that. <laughs> you know, it's not the most important thing, but it might be a tiny piece in the puzzle of restoring the apostolic church.
0: Yeah, and for me, I would look at it and say, not only does he not prescribe that we should speak in tongues, but he speaks of it in a very dismissive way, mm-hmm. and when he writes about it, it's to fix problems around the gift. Sure,
1: and I think if I was writing to a modern charismatic church in America, I would write the exact same way. I mm-hmm. would. I, I picture the, the Corinthian church much like you know, Bethel. Or something
0: <laughs> with a little extra incest. We hope. Um. Yes, we hope.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if I was writing to Bethel, I would probably dismiss. I don't. They're they're into tongues, but they're probably more into healing and some of those things. Yeah. And I would say, look, guys, get some of this under control. You know, yep. um, focus a little more on discipleship, caring for the poor, uh, b- biblical theology. Yeah. Um, and and i would try to be corrective in that sense. so i think that's what that's, paul was
0: doing. and and that's what's really beautiful about paul's example for me as a pastor. he doesn't he doesn't come down hard and say cut out everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. i feel a lot of pastoral graciousness of pastoral love from what paul says here. Mm-hmm. he he tells them to stop being disorderly, but there's this thing that's meaningful to some of them, right? speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't crush them like, you know, John MacArthur would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead, he says, yeah, you're being spiritually edified, but what about your minds? What about the minds and hearts of your brothers and sisters? I think there's a pattern for us today as we work with people that disagree. And I, I'm going to sound all preacherly now, but I'm, this is off script. <laughs> there's a place for us to say, well, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I'm not going to crush him either. I'm gonna give them room in their journey while together we look at the, the more excellent way, like yeah. he talks about love. And, and that's ultimately what I want to do too. We've kind of gone back and forth in the debate side mm-hmm. of things. But I care about the people that would be more charismatic. That's important to me. I also care about the people that have been intimidated and sometimes spiritually abused by the ideas of, of charismatic emphasis. And I want them to have the freedom to say, no, I don't speak in tongues and I'm actually okay with that. Mm -hmm. Man, that's good. Should we close
1: in prayer? (laughs) (laughs) Which language? (laughs) So we were going to talk about prophecy yet, and we're already (laughs) have been talking for quite some time. Do you want to save that for another episode or do you want to get into that a little bit?
0: That's a very different one. And, um, I think you and I would probably find a lot more agreement on that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So maybe we should save that for another time.
1: Sure. Sounds good. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We will probably, potentially, and perhaps, (laughs) hear more of Drew Latin in the future. Uh, We've been talking about perhaps bringing him on for a couple episodes as a co-host and seeing how that goes. And if we fight too much or if you guys really don't like him, then we will not continue. But (laughs) you might be hearing more of Drew in the future. I've really enjoyed getting to know him, and I've enjoyed this discussion. So for all of you who are listening, um, if you've enjoyed this as well, make sure to share this with your friends and subscribe wherever you are listening to this. Uh, Drew, do you have any, any closing thoughts as we wrap up here?
0: I'm just going to go with my pastoral application instinct and say that whatever we say to each other, it needs to be edifying and clear. So thank you for helping me do that. And I'm looking forward to doing this again with you.
1: Awesome. Talk to you later, man.
0: Take care.